because you've seen the team play all season. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think especially with the consistency, right? We've been talking about consistency being the difference. We've played good hockey as a, over, over the course of the season, you know, but but we haven't put together a stretch like this. So that's what's been, been tremendous. Obviously, the response of uh, you know losing Morgan as we did, and then you know the the illness and injuries and things that we've been dealing with. Um, the guys haven't been phased. They've just been growing their game. What started it? Uh... St. Louis game at home. Kind of look back at that game. I was thinking about it today, and um, you know we had, you know, you talk about our stars, and a few of them were out sick. Bobby stepped up and had a hat trick that game, and um, obviously he's playing with a ton of confidence. But it's throughout our lineup, and that game was such a, we played such a simple and north and heavy game and fast. Uh, got on the forecheck, and we've kind of continued that through here through the stretch, and that's you know building identity and building confidence within. Uh, you know, that structure has been really important for us and it's paying dividends for us, obviously. Fan Morning Show, Sports Center 5 9 the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sheldon Keith, Jake McCabe. After the Maple Leaf 7 3 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights, it was 4 0 after 1, it was 6 1 after 2, and then it was 6-3 very quickly into the mm-hmm. third period, and then Awesome Alley said, enough of this. Let's just... I think it was Pontus Holmberg who said that. Oh, he well, really okay. did the heavy yeah, lifting he, on sure. that goal. I, I just, it was an amazing play by Matthews and a great drop pass, and then, yeah, good job. Uh, goal number 52 for Austin Matthews, still on pace for 77 goals. As the Maple Leafs have won six consecutive after a 7-3 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights, Morgan Riley returning to action for the first time in six games after serving the five-game suspension. He skates for 18 minutes and 37 minutes, not in the top two, uh, not even in the top three in minutes. Actually, okay, this is, he was fifth mm-hmm. in minutes among mm-hmm. defensemen in this game. Yeah. Now, part of that is also the score of the hockey game, right? Like yep. everybody's minutes were were depressed, depressed yep. after a 4 nothing start. It Just really like did. the Golden Knights. Mm. Uh, and the Golden Knights were without, uh, you know, some pretty key cogs there as well. But uh, Morgan Riley returning to action, his teammates um, playing well behind him, trying not to allow the narrative to build of, hey, Leafs play their best five games of the season without Morgan Riley. He returns, and albeit it's against the champs on the back end of back-to-backs, but then they lose. They played hmm. their best maybe of the six games that they've played here. You know, this thought just just popped into my head now, and we've kind of talked about this at various points in this season, but it really gets hammered home with how big that game was for Morgan Riley last night from a narrative perspective, how much the game before meant to Matthews just from a personal perspective, and, and Nyes as well, is that, you know, we've done we've done this in the past, and sometimes it's been overstated, where does it say anything about this team that they've gone into Long Island to just lay an egg when when their captain is getting booed all over? Like we've done we've done that, and I have not liked what it said in the past. I think sometimes it's overstated. Sometimes you just don't have it. But when it became a bit of a pattern early on of every time you go into Long Island, just lay an egg in a game that means so much to your captain. How dare you? Last time they were in Long no, Island, I, they scored uh, six on five to get it to overtime. They lost in overtime. Well, what I was going to say is, have we not seen a bit of a turning of the worm mm-hmm. of that this year? where when the game matters the most, and part of this is what the Leafs have done in terms of from the team. When you have a team game that matters the most, a measuring stick against Boston, or you go into Madison Square Garden, generally speaking, they've handled themselves pretty well. But when it's been kind of an individual thing, and this game matters so much for this guy, 
generally speaking, it just hasn't worked out for this team. And now you have back-to-back games where meant so much to Matthews. Marner was was made it his life's mission to get him 50 in that that game. And then you see last night, I don't think the team played great because they, they sat there and had a kumbaya of do it for Mo. But I think that was absolutely part of what galvanized them to get up for a back-to-back on a tough, on a the tougher team in the back-to-back on the road, Cup champs, yada yada yada. I don't, I don't think it's everything. I don't want to overstate what it means. I really don't think it's nothing either, though. No, it, it did feel, and I'm not in the dressing room, but to your point about the narratives that surround this team, that felt like message sending yesterday. That yeah, it's it's twofold. It's hey, we're just as good, if not better, and it should be better with our best defenseman back mm-hmm. in the lineup. Yes. And two, okay, you can point to the lesser lights that we played over the five-game winning streak. These are the cup champs, and sure, they it's a diminished version of them. We can't control that. But it's on the back end of back-to-backs as well. Watch what we do in 60 minutes here. And the opening 20, really, is where the game was decided, scoring four goals there and having 20 shots on goal and – Boy, between the two teams, there were 13 high-danger shot attempts in the first period. Yeah. There were 13 total at 5-on-5 five five in the Arizona game. It's just an overwhelming performance by the Toronto Maple Leafs in that game yesterday. They have the Cup champs from a couple of seasons ago on Hockey Night in Canada. Tomorrow in Denver, they are firmly entrenched in the top three in the Atlantic Division, Brent. And we can have our conversation about them being in the top tier of Mm -hmm. NHL Stanley Cup contenders. I think they're having that conversation in the front office as well because we're not far removed from the NHL's trade deadline. Does this stretch of games, and not just the victories that are Mm -hmm. being accumulated, but the, the, the appearance of dominance, whether it's... The first game against the Blues and allowing them 15 shots on goal, or if it's the opening 20 minutes against the defending cup champs on the back end of back-to-back scoring Mm -hmm. four goals against. Is it changing your opinion on how the Leafs should approach the trade deadline? Do you think it's impacting Brad Treliving's opinion on what he should do with the trade deadline? I think it is. I think it, quite frankly, it, it has to. I don't think there was much of a chance that this team was going to do absolutely nothing. I didn't think that was going to happen. But, you know, I'll, I'll use the guy I've been bandying about all all back half of the season long. Is, I thought it would be your more Ilya Labushkin type uh, style of trade there where it's, okay, this is a guy who's been here before, have a little success, a little comfortability, could slide in, probably not going to cost you the world. Let's see what happens with this move. If, if this run, and I do think it has to continue for next week, and that doesn't mean they win all those games, but they have to look great against all the teams that matter. I'll, I'll even give them an egg against Arizona and the next time they play them. They're even allowed that one. But you got to play well against all these teams. It does make me think that Treliving would actually consider, for the first time this year, swinging for a difference maker. Now, the problem is, is I think, I think there's only one or two of those available, and they both play goal. Yes, that's the problem. That is the problem, and, and we'll talk to a, a guy who thinks that Jacob Markstrom would be a nice little addition to this yep. team later on in the program, and Jason Bukala, who uh, you know, it was just a hey, it's not informed speculation. It's just hey, we're we're throwing stuff at the wall, mm-hmm. and and you know, did throw Markstrom in a potential trade for the Maple Leafs. I mean, to me, what it does, if I'm going to be specific about it, is. And maybe it doesn't get to this point with Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev is obviously the number one target for this team and the guy that makes a ton of sense, but he's aged. And 
any day now, he could block a shot off his face and be out for a month. Might happen when he's not even playing a game. He just might be driving his right. car and get smoked in the face because he, he's a magnet that and way. And he's a rental, and boy, it is interesting to 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 try and understand what that means as far as him being a local guy and the, the, the possibility of him taking less to be a Leaf going forward or whether, you know, there's a bidding war for his services in the offseason. But if the going rate for Chris Tanev gets to the point of it being a first-round pick. And clearly, all indication is that the Flames, like he could be a Maple Leaf right now. The Leafs were willing to give up their first-round pick. Don't have a second, right? If it gets to that point where it's, hey, you can have Chris Tanev or or you're not going to have him, but you can have him if you give up your first-round pick. I think if Brad Living's opinion was, well, I'd like to have Chris Tanev, but this team, I'm not giving up my first-round pick for that type of player who's a pending free agent who is, you know, in the, like people are going to do the Felino thing and yep. they're, they're going to do the Morgan Riley thing with me that like, here I am again, giving up first round picks for mm-hmm. rentals. If the conversation was under no circumstances are we giving up that first round pick for yep. Chris, Chris Tanev a couple of weeks ago, I could see the scenario where that manifests itself into, you know what, H- how can I not afford to give up a first round pick for a guy that can, can be, a better version of Luke Shen next to Morgan Riley. I don't I don't know that he's there yet. I I mean the proof will be in the pudding when deadline time comes around, but I think that it I think that the part of this that we've all talked about has not gone away. Just cuz the team is good this year or at least proving to be better than maybe we thought at points this year, it doesn't change the fact that Bradshaw Living still has the exact same you know, amount of prospects and draft capital in the cupboard. It doesn't change the fact that he hopes that this is a successful tenure for him as Leafs GM and not a little flash in the pan. And I, as much as I love Chris Tanev and what he can add, I, and Hey, maybe Luke Shen should make me rethink this. I don't know that he is a guy that pushes you over the top or pushes you over the hump I still think and again maybe I need to get out of this style of thinking because of how good the decor has been without him I still think you want a guy who can do more be kind of more dynamic be more of a capital D difference maker and I know a lot of times people hear that and they think a forward but and Hannafin is not the guy this team should be trading for plays with the wrong hand we've talked about this to death but I would feel differently about it if it was that guy. It's a young guy you're putting into the core and you're going to have cracks at this with. I don't know that I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know. I do know. I don't think I'm willing to push the first in for Tanev. I don't. Okay. How about the idea of just putting a first in for a rental here? And Tanev is a different type of rental because yeah, there's the idea that he would resign again in Toronto. Yeah. If the, the offers are not out there elsewhere and he's not just about making top dollar, which he might be, and who would blame well, him there's for this, that? Well, there's this thought out there that the Sens are ready to say, hey, mm-hmm. you're going to be our team dad and you know show Brady Kachuk how to be an adult and yada, yada, yada. There is some belief of that, and they're you know pretty content to maybe blow the doors off him to do that. If you're Tanev and you're sitting there and, you know, if it goes well with the Leafs, of course, why wouldn't you want to come back? But mm-hmm. if it doesn't, you could just as easily go, mm, I see how it's gone for Gio. I know him. I'm yeah. going to take my wares elsewhere where they're going to pay me handsomely for it. So the the problem with this hypothetical I'm about to lay out is that there is no Ryan O'Reilly. There's no constant winner out there that makes the problem. so much That's sense. the problem. But it did feel like, hey, the Leafs are... They're going to do something at the deadline, but the previous mold of, and I mentioned the Felino, mm-hmm. the O'Reilly, the giving up first round picks for rentals yep. is over. 
I just I wonder if this level of play that we've seen over these six games is yeah. changing that that philosophy in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Uh, it's funny. I don't know if I don't know where you're at on this, but every time we talk about this, I still go back to the Zadorov trade and how differently would things be if you just ponied up the extra to do that? Would you feel better about it? Would you feel worse? Because quite frankly, like where does he? slide in on this team right now. And this is a guy who, you know, I was maybe a little more bullish on than others. The size, he provides you some offense. He He's a little nasty, but mm-hmm. I mean, you see what Brody and Lilligren are giving you. You see what McCabe and Benoit have given you. You know, that's not to say there wouldn't be a, a home for somebody like that, but that that's the player I keep coming back to is if we're going to be having all these conversations about a first for a rental of Chris Tanev, would you, would you not have done a third and a fourth for a rental of Nikita Zadorov? I, I don't know. Maybe you can have them when the Canucks become sellers, when this four-game losing streak becomes an eight-game. Can we get Sam Lafferty back? Oh, wait, we don't need him anymore. <laughs> no, he was not good, although he, he, he scored Very again. Yeah. last night. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll obviously come back around to Maple Leafs later on in the program. Blue Jays open up their spring training schedule tomorrow in Dunedin against the Philadelphia Phillies. They play the Phillies all the time because if you've ever been down to Dunedin... Clearwater! It's, like, right next... Like, you... You just drive right past the Phillies facility, right to the Blue Jays facility. I feel like you're a guy who's very good with, like I had clear water for the Phillies off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have so many of them, all the yeah. spring training sites. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I don't Pirates, know. Sarasota I, for the Orioles. See, I can't do it after Fort you Myers say Fort Myers for the Red Sox. That one I did know. Tampa for the Yankees. Mm. See? Port St. Lucie for the Mets. I knew you are good at this. Yeah, good fun. job. Good job by you, Ben. Thank you. You're a baseball nerd. No one should ever doubt you. Uh, Yeah. And like I've, I've said, listen, you should watch the entirety of the nine innings tomorrow mm-hmm. between the Blue Jays and Phillies. For me, the first couple <laughs> innings are a good enough sampling. And the first couple innings, you're going to get to see Ricky Tiedemann. So, yeah, obviously my eyes are going to be glued to the number one guy that we should care about the in spring training. Now that is Ricky Tiedemann. Yeah, and I don't think his performance is going to impact his ability to break camp with this team. I don't I don't think that's happening. I think he's going to start his season in AAA and I think he's going to if he performs be a part of this Blue Jays team this season. But he's the guy that is number 1 on the list of guys that you want to see during spring training. It's always the top prospects that you haven't seen at the major league level. It was Nate Pearson once upon a time and now it's Ricky Tiedemann. Sorry Ricky that I put you in the same category as Nate Pearson. <laughs> you know, he's been a major leaguer and there's there's lots of guys with the same amount of hype that Nate Pearson had that never reached the major league. So it's it's an accomplishment that he's potentially carving out a, a long-time major league relief role. Anywho, Blue Jays play their first spring game of the season tomorrow. Jim Bowden on The Athletic has his ranking of major league managers on the hot seat. And coming in at number one. Mm. Is you your love friend, being on the top. <laughs> is your friend and mine, John Schneider. According to a man who sat in the general manager's chair, Jim Bowden, mm-hmm. is the is the major league manager most on the hot seat. Not Aaron Boone, who now has like he, he's I've a told year five hundred of being a manager for a team that just continues to underperform. I've told you my theory on Aaron Boone is that he made like he I don't know when I guess it was when he hit the the home run in 03, uh that that uh, or yeah yeah 03, uh that he made a deal with the devil and just said and now he is stuck in perpetuity being hated as Yankees manager by everyone involved and I think maybe even himself. I actually think that's what happened. Well, here's my guess that if the Yankees miss the playoffs with a Juan Soto, that they finally that. That he will be relieved of his duties, and I'm not saying that 
He deserves to. But, yeah, it's just like, – it is incredible that that team finished so far up the track. And mm-hmm. they're the New York freaking Yankees, and he's been there for a minute. They're still there. Yeah, but electric, electric complainer. Yeah. He's so good at it. Boy, it's not incredible quite as at good. being ejected. Yeah, it's not like, quite this as is Bobby Cox stuff that well, we've seen from him. I was gonna say, still the one of recent vintage that sticks in my mind is uh, it's not Showalter, but it was a, a recent-ish Mets manager going, "You got my guys in the jackpot. You put no. me in the jackpot." That's still my like gold standard for that. Uh, but yeah, Boone, his his mimicking of like stealing signs or stealing calls at the plate and everything, it's it's electric. Good for him. Yeah, so he's not number one. John Schneider Somehow. is number one, Somewhere. according to one man, Jim yeah. Bowden. Yeah. An informed man. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Brian? Kind of. What we know about the everything that's been talked about with the front office and messaging, I, I don't know that any, I'm not going to say no manager should be on a hot seat. Everyone can do a better job of their, you know, everyone can, you can always find somebody, I think, to either find a way for a person to do their job better or a better person to do that job, but it it just goes to what a manager is in 2024, I guess now. I almost said 23. We're in like two months in the year. You should get that figured out. Uh, Happy New Year. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. But I, I look at it and I say, well, what's the job of a manager? If you're not the Dusty Baker type who you get a little more autonomy, you're allowed to have some of that. If you're, Are you there to be a cheerleader? Are you there to be a rah-rah guy? Are you there to keep people in line? I don't think that's the job either. So I just have a hard time looking at anyone as deserving to be on the hot seat because I don't know what that job entails other than mm-hmm. pushing the button that your boss told you to push. And again, mm-hmm. there's personality stuff and some of that can play in. I think when they last made a manager change, it made sense to go from a more jovial guy to someone a little more stern. But I don't know that you're going to see it the other way. And I don't know that he's all that stern. So Mm. that's where I look at it with this is, yeah, you can make an argument that the season goes poorly and the Jays are trying to pivot and save things and they push the button to make the change. Yeah, I can easily see that happening. But I don't know that any manager, honestly, deserves to be there just with what a manager is asked to do in 2024. Yeah, Uh there's there's some in-game managerial stuff that we we obviously think is the front office uh, leading the charge, if not sending down an edict that Jose Barrios has to be lifted at a certain point, and uh, Yusei Kikuchi has to be uh, in, inserted in that point in a postseason game. But let's go back before that last season with John Schneider and the in-game management stuff. It's not been perfect, honestly. I don't look at him as the world's greatest tactician. There were more than a couple of games where I thought, boy, wait, remember like, remember Twitter? I, I can't off the top of my head remember who it was against, but there was a, a multiple games in a row where some late game decision-making mm-hmm. cost the Blue Jays games, and one in particular, not pinch running for Alejandro Kirk, like just quite literally cost the Blue Jays game. So this is not a guy that, one, has... The postseason success that you'd want out of your manager, he's had the regular season success because he arrived at a time Blue Jays were getting swept in Seattle by the Mariners and needed to salvage their season. He did. He got him into the postseason where they blew a massive lead against the Seattle Mariners. But whatever. He got them there during the regular season. But also go back to that Mariners series and some of the decision-making that I think was pretty clearly yep. flawed in retrospect, not keeping Kevin Gossman out there a little bit longer. Um, he's not perfect. Secondarily to that, you look at his contractual status. He's under contract for one more year beyond this year, 2025, with the team option for 2026. And beyond that, and Jim Bowden points this out, I think rightly so, in his article, 
is that, okay, this team is in a weird point in its development that I don't think you're bringing in somebody from the outside and signing him to a long-term deal if you're firing John Schneider because I think if things go pear-shaped this year, there's no debate. You're, like, literally taking offers on Boba mm-hmm. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this offseason. Mm-hmm. You're not going into their lame duck years after you miss the playoffs, right? Or you supremely underperformed again this season. So it's not like you're going to sign some guy up for big money long term if you're going to go into some modicum of a rebuild. But you got a guy sitting right behind him in Don Mattingly, who's a former manager of the year. Mm. I mean, that's what changes everything. And I know they have a great working relationship, and and John had to sign off on the hiring mm-hmm. when he was hired, and and I'm sure it wasn't like even in the top ten list of reasons why the Blue Jays went out and acquired Don Mattingly to be a part of this staff, but it couldn't have been not on the list of reasons why they went out and got Don Mattingly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair point. I think that's all well said. I just I I guess for me it's just mostly a and you're right to point out the tactical stuff. Like not a perfect manager, definitely made mistakes. I just think that. I my opinion of everything is so colored specifically with this team by how everything went and the still still lack of concrete and clear answers of <laughs> we got to shut this whole thing down until we figure out what is going on over there is how I keep going back to the decision making process mm. and who's allowed to make decisions and I just have a problem firing a guy when you don't give him autonomy but I guess that's the job in the year 2024 and you have to find a way to do the best you have with the limited autonomy you have you do have some though yeah like, no, no and, and it I, changes right. I don't like, mean to say that they that the phone rang it's like there's there's the bullpen phone and then there's the red phone well, where they I say honestly, you keep Kirk in the game that didn't happen of course no and and in the postseason it's it's if I had to guess a little more hands-on that Boy, over 162 games, are you going to really get your marching orders for every single move that you make? And not to say that that even happens in the postseason, but I would say that if the front office is hands-on when it comes to in-game management, the the hands get bigger, I guess, Mm -hmm. for for lack of a better term, in the postseason. Like phone finger hands. Yeah, as opposed to during the regular season where it's like maybe just like a gentle suggestion or here's what we're thinking. We're in the the postseason. Like, here's the game plan. And everybody sits down at a big oak table. Oh, I was going to say mahogany, but mm. that, the Leafs have that cornered. If you've ever seen their offices, it's like all yes. the mahogany in the city is at, <laughs> at MLSE. All right. Before we take the break, we should uh, update people on what happened to Charlie Woods yesterday. Oof. Well, it w- wasn't great. He's 15, though. It's yeah. not unexpected. Um, but, yeah, he didn't make a birdie, and he took a 12 on a hole yesterday and shot an 86 no, in his imb- a- attempt to, to qualify for the qualifier. I'm not this, I don't take this to to murder the kid. I'm just telling you exactly what he feels. No, that's embarrassing. That's disgusting. That's, mm-hmm. in the words of his dad, it's the worst I could have possibly shot out there today, except Tiger was always saying that about 64s, not 86s. It's, I don't, like, <laughs> I forget who it was who made this point. It was talking about like March Madness. It was somebody who would, you know, coach or not coach, but like taught at college class. And they said, I don't know, man. You want to gamble on the predictability of a 17, 18-year-old even more when it's a 15-year-old. I think that this is, you know, pardon the golf pun, par for the course of of what happens when you have a young kid. They're super volatile, and the moment was super big. There's the reporting that came out of it if it was an absolute gong show surrounding him of people. There was there was one quote of somebody demanding he sign a book, which I feel is a little strong. I'd like to see the video of that demanding. Was it, hey, sign this, Chuck? Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that drunk guy would have called him Chuck in, oh, instead yeah, of Charlie. Sure. Uh, but yeah, this is it. You get a ton of benefits from being 
Tiger Woods kid. I don't need to state them all. Just, just dream on it with me. But this is the other side of it is we all get to talk about your 86. And I don't say that. I don't say that glowingly. I'm not like, I didn't come in here today. Oh, we got a, we got a knife, Charlie Woods. No, I feel awful for the kid, but it's what happens. 15. Yeah. It's going to shoot bad rounds of golf again in his life. It may, it's, it's entirely possible. Some might even say likely that this won't be his life of being a professional golfer. It can be so long as he wants to, because yeah. you know, he's not going to have to do anything else, but yeah, this is, Hey, like if you're a golfer out there, remove whatever the score is. You know, if you're an eighties golfer, you've days you shoot 95, you days you fire a 75. It's of just course. the nature of the game. And I don't know, but I, I will say, I don't know how you can see some of the reports about the gallery surrounding him and stuff and not just feel like, and I don't say this to be the moment was too big for him, but the moment got to him of the gong show Maybe. that was surrounding him. Cause when he's, when he's played before and it's the PNC, it's hey, it's Tiger and it's Happy Fields. Well, and it's, and it's also a a more PGA Tour sanctioned exactly, event exactly. with like real ropes where yes. it's like this tournament's like okay, it is a PGA related event. It's a qualifier for a Monday qualifier. Yeah. I'm thinking there's no ropes, right? No. Like and there's security detail apparently, but the, yeah, yeah, you sent me the the report about people trying to stay on the cart path. They told them to stay on the cart path. Like we're we're talking about fast and loose. Yeah, uh, next to somebody who's the son of the all-time great in that sport and and probably not the best ecosystem for him to get his feet wet trying to qualify for a PJ Tour event. But, hey, to that I would say, and to anybody who would say, stop talking about him, just let him live his life. Go play at your home course with the members. Like, what are you talking about here? Yep, you, like, want- you decided to do this, and, and maybe in retrospect you're like, ooh, Maybe this isn't like my dad, who at 16 years old was playing yeah. on the PGA Tour. He was in the midst of three straight U.S. junior amateur titles. He played at the Nissan Open at Riviera, where he missed the cut, but he mm-hmm. shot 72-75, yeah. which ain't no 86, okay? Yeah. Uh, he was with, 16, so it, a year older. Well, and again, like, we, you know, go read the Tiger book. The The upbringing was a little different, like... You know, it was not all sunshine and rainbows, but there's a reason Tiger was the killer he was at that age. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing for Charlie Woods. They didn't necessarily have the exact same upbringing, but yeah, it's just different. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're not your father. And guess what? Life's a little easier for the second generation, uh, generally speaking. I don't say that to mean Charlie Woods is living life on easy street or anything, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's not the same when you're fighting for your life, for lack of a better term, when your life is set, it's, it's out there for you. And, and this part can't be overstated is that whatever he wants in golf, like he cannot play in the masters just because his dad says, no, he can go play Augusta. Meritocracy, man. No, but, but he can go do anything else in the world. He wants in golf, you know, play the old course, go play Pine Valley, go be a member at Pine Valley, go be a member <laughs> at Augusta. You do it all. That's the thing is I think there, there is, there is such an element of hunger for what it takes to reach an individual sport like that. And it will actually prove what a psycho, when I say that in a positive way, yeah. Charlie is, if he's able to overcome the lack of hunger he has to have. Because right. guess what? It's all already there for him. Yeah. And it's, listen, it's not, it's not great parenting. A lot of what Earl Woods did, I would not advise it. But yeah, would it have made Tiger a little more able to cope with the moment that like he would be on a putting green and Earl would be jangling his mm-hmm. change right next to his head. Yep. The back I, off games, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. He worked with a Navy SEALs mental coach <laughs> when he was eight years old guys. <laughs> yeah. Not so. Anywho.
I uh, hope that Charlie Woods can can figure it out and becomes a fixture on the PJ. Oh Ferrari. my God! I love I, nothing more. Yes, please let me hammer home that part of it. Is that I would love nothing more than to get because I actually do think there's a small part of me that that allows Tiger to have like a second part of life where mm-hmm. he's around us and it's not sad. Golf dad, Tiger. <laughs> oh, give it to me, baby. I'm still not out on on Tiger. Maybe not being sad here. Going oh, we forward. did. He was sick. Yeah. Okay. He's sick. I, I don't disbelieve that he was sick. I just, I, hey, prove me wrong. Go do the 2019 Masters again. I, the, unlike last time where I was holding out hope the whole time, I don't know that he's breaking that record that he shares with Sam Snead right now. We shall see. All right. When we come back, Blue Jays, as mentioned, first spring training game tomorrow against the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll talk to Caitlin McGrath in Dunedin, working for the Athletic Nexus. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 59 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So Maple Leafs feel pretty secure, as they should, in their playoff positioning in the Eastern Conference. But lots still to be decided out there. And the Penguins were down one nothing. The Montreal Canadiens came back and won 4-1, as they should. My yeah. goodness. You lose to the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. as desperate as you are for two points, uh, that's a problem. Uh, they and picked the, up the, and the Canadians two. would have been livid as well. Like, how dare you? Yes, that's true. Um, but yeah, the, the Capitals won against the Lightning, and boy, Andre Vasilevsky allowing a bunch of goals again as well, like save percentage well under 900. The Lightning are still in a playoff spot, but that is a team that you're like, oof, you don't have games in hand anymore either. Not, not that the Capitals are any juggernaut, but they have three games in hand on the Lightning and are only five points back of Tampa for that second wild card spot. Uh, the Islanders did pick up a big two points against the Pens earlier this week um they are at 60 points and five points back of the lightning for that second wild card spot but they were playing the blues yesterday and they were down three nothing and yes. there's 11 minutes left in the hockey game okay see your percentage chance of winning the hockey game is what like certainly under five percent at that point i would say yeah I, down I, three goals unless you're right. the leafs against the Perhaps. blue jackets and or, down five uh no you're the one who said it you're the leafs they have regular season magic remember that's true yeah boy so and, with and, the leafs it's like a it's actually somehow a 105 percent chance they win that game right most normal hockey teams are not going <laughs> to win the game in that circumstance oh you mean the team that only has one dynamic player in the islanders yeah probably not going to happen for them Patrick Watt pulled the goalie with 11 minutes ago, down three, <laughs> nothing. And and the Blues scored like pretty shortly thereafter. I, and it was just, I am shocked. And it was just the one goal because then it was like, all right, now 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 we're done. Um, but he pulled his goalie with 11 minutes to go, trying to come back sure. and erase a three-goal deficit in the third period. Now, one, I love this. I know you do. And two, people are so quick to forget that Oh, well, now it's you don't bat an eye when Sheldon Keith pulls the goalie down two with three and a half minutes to go because it makes sense. But go back 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. there's no way in hell anybody's oh. got the stones to do that. Buck 30 was the most. 
until Patrick Waugh started doing it. Like, he was patient zero for this. And like I said, you're going to lose the game either way, right? You're, you're more likely yep. than not not going to win a hockey game. You trail by three goals with half a period left to go. So yeah, you're a desperation time anyways. I, I loved it. I, I love that this guy, despite the fact that he, he left on terms that weren't ideal and, boy, he wanted to get in for so long and couldn't, mm -hmm. still feels emboldened being Patrick Waugh and the Hall of Famer that he is, that he can do this. He can do the thing. Like, still, nobody does that. Nope. And they should. They should absolutely be doing what Patrick Waugh did yesterday. Yeah, I, I disagree. I'm not going to kill him for it's it. because you're I think. wrong. That's no, okay. I, it's fine. I, I'm actually right about almost everything when we talk about this show. I'll defer to you on baseball, but this is my domain here. I, I, I look at it and I go that you, I'm not, I'm not going to murder him for it. It's the aisles. You need to win the game. You try something. I understand it. But I also think, let's not get stupid here with 11 minutes to go. I, now, so what's the, the magic number for well, you? There, if you're down three goals and you're the Islanders, I, I mean, the answer isn't just pack it in, but you might as well just go home because oh, you're the Islanders. You are. You're not going to score. You're not, the Islanders are not scoring three goals in five minutes with the goal. You know what gives you a better chance is getting six skaters here's, on the ice. Here's why. Here's why. And again, it, it is a little harder to do this. Like if this happens in a Leaf game, I have a very concrete feel for this one because I'm more certain about the team. But also I think game script matters. Like, I think if you are a team that is completely flat, completely flat, then I think it makes sense to say, all right, we're going to do this to mm -hmm. wake you up. But I don't think that was necessarily the impetus for it. If that was, I can understand it in a very specific segment or time zone or you know, time period in the game. But I still think it's ridiculous. I 11 you, minutes, what are we doing? I bet you if you got a number cruncher in here who evaluated – the percentage chance of the Islanders winning the game before that, and then the percentage chance of them winning it, trying to yeah. score at six on five. I bet you it was like analytically probably the correct move. Yeah. Well, I, I know it was theoretic or literally the wrong move because the Blues scored and they lost the game. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Score. I mean, well, yeah. Anyone, anyone can do that. Yeah. Oh, they, they got scored on mm. and they lost the game. Yeah. Because I'm a genius. Yeah. Well done. All right. Uh, Blue Jays and Phillies playing a real fake game tomorrow. On Sportsnet, 1 o'clock, Caitlin McGrath is going to be there. Uh, her of The Athletic joins us now. How's it going, Caitlin? It's good. How are you? Good. Long time no talk. Uh, happy mm -hmm. spring training to you. Um, Thank you. It's uh, I, I, I mentioned this uh, the other day. I think it was Shy. how it's nice that they're, like, parsing out all the, the, the first media availabilities of all the Blue Jays. And yesterday was George Springer's turn to speak. Uh, and he talked a little bit about himself, but he did. He talked about, man... How how great it was to be teammates with Hunjin Ryu. What are your Hunjin Ryu memories, and was he worth the 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 cake that they gave him, uh, despite the 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 number of starts he made over those four years? Um, I don't like. I feel like some. I, I feel like last year when Hunjin came back and pitched really well, because um, I think there was a huge question mark. Like I remember writing um, the year prior when he obviously was getting Tommy John surgery. Like, have we seen the last of Hunjin Ryu in a Blue Jays uniform? Because like. He was older. It was his second Tommy John. You never know how they're going to recover from it. Um, you know, the long timeline that you need. And so I think just seeing him pitch really well and he came back in great shape and everyone was so excited to see him. And it, it's true. He really was like a beloved teammate. I mean, he didn't say a lot. Um, you know, he was kind of quiet. But when he did say things, it was, you know, really meaningful. And he was quite funny. And I know um, he was someone that really liked to bond with his teammates and, take guys out for dinner and he was a big foodie guy as well so 
um, yeah, I think overall it was, you know, a, a worth it contract. I think that um, he, I kind of wrote this yesterday where he, he sort of just started a new era for the Blue Jays in terms of them um, not just being competitive, but also just being more relevant um, in free agency. And, um, you know, he was the first guy, but then George comes in and Kevin Gosman and Bassett and Mark Simeon and all these guys start signing. And he was kind of the first guy that, um, you know, came to the Blue Jays when they were still somewhat of a rebuilding team and said, like, you know, we're going for it now. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a, an element to that, and like you said, you can draw kind of a kind of a straight line from the Ryu signing to being able to sign all of those guys. And one of the names you mentioned, and the the reason we're talking about Ryu is because Springer talked about him yesterday. And Springer is the guy I've kind of got my eyes most trained on heading into this season. You know, this team is going to go as as Vladdy and Bo go. They're both going to have to hit for this team to have a good year. You're going to need the starting rotation to be pretty close to what it was last year, but. I think pretty clearly George Springer is the third most important bat on this team. What do you expect his kind of role to be? Do we think he'll be a continued leadoff hitter? Can we see a world where that kind of kind of slips? I mean, we have seen diminished versions of him as seasons have gone on. And, you know, we know he's a little longer in the tooth. Just what are your kind of expectations for, for Springer heading into this year? Yeah, I mean, last year was a really weird year for him. The numbers weren't as good as, um, you know, his career tells us he can be, but there was some some stats that said he should be performing better. His batted ball was pretty close to career average. So I feel like maybe it was a bit of a rough luck year, at least parts of it. But in terms of what we'll see from him, I do think we're going to still see him in the leadoff spot. I think that um, actually John Schneider said yesterday that he would be. It's probably not set in stone. I mean, even last year when things weren't going well for George, he moved down in the lineup. So it's not um, impossible that, things get mixed up if, if it's not working but I do think the Blue Jays are just in a position where they want to see him be the leadoff hitter he likes it the best he's been one of the best leadoff hitters in the game ever um, you know and I think he sets a good tone for the lineup he is really aggressive and you know the top half of their lineup is quite aggressive you're going to have a different look to it you, I assume Justin Turner is going to be um, hitting you know up top maybe fourth or fifth or whatever um, and so he'll have a different look to the lineup too but yeah I mean George is really important there was a lot of good that came out of his year last year too I mean I thought he made the he made the outfield um, you know one of the best outfields obviously Kiermaier and Garsho helped with that too but him in right field worked really well he was really healthy last year that was the mm-hmm. big positive right he played the most that he's played in a number of years um, you know he stayed on the field um, and so outside of some of the weird numbers that he had, it was pretty overall a good season for George Springer. But, yeah, I agree with you that his bat needs to be better. He does need to lead the lineup. He does need to be, you know, maybe not as important as Bo and Vlad, but certainly one of the most important bats. So, um, you know, he's excited for the season. He looks like he's in good shape, as the rest of them are. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. Not the best shape of his life, though. I was going to say, guys in shape in spring training, I, for one, am shocked, Caitlin. Top at 34 to be in the best shape of your life, Caitlin, I hey. would say. Yeah, I could do it. I don't know. I, I can say that as a 40-year-old, uh, and I know what it was like to be 34. Um, so George Springer, yeah, you mentioned it, was healthy last year. Played 154 games, second most he's ever played in his career. Played the full slate, 162 in 2016, but second most games he's played, second most plate appearances, which is incredible for a guy that, 
his first two years as a Blue Jay were kind of marred by various injuries. But I also saw the, the, the quote from John Schneider that he felt like he ran him into the ground last year. So I view that as a positive, that he was able to play so many games. But I, I wonder if there's an organizational belief that, ooh, maybe we, we played him actually too much last season. I mean, maybe. Like, I mean, I think that also the way that George plays is that he plays hard and he doesn't really – um, have an off switch. And I mean, we've seen him like put his body on the line, um, you know, a number of times. And I think that's probably why the Blue Jays have to be a little bit cautious with him just because knowing the way he plays, like he's not going to ever approach a game, um, you know, at half speed. So they sort of have to be aware though. I do wonder what they're going to do in terms of um, how they get him less games. Cause they have some extra outfielders, but none of those outfielders are necessarily pure outfielders like they have a lot of guys that play a lot of positions I feel like it's going to be that type of year where you're going to see maybe Biggio and Wright a lot more than we have in previous years and uh, Davis Schneider assuming he makes a team you're going to see him in, in left field and you see things mixed up a little bit but um, yeah like I, I think there probably needs to be some effort to maybe get more DH days for George Springer maybe mix things up maybe you're going to have JT playing some um, third base a little bit if you want George to have a day off his feet, but we'll see. That's you know that's not my job to figure it out. No, it's uh, it's not your job to answer the the wonderful questions. I think, anyways, that we uh, put forth to you and write wonderful columns uh, in the in the Athletic. Uh, Tiedemann getting the start tomorrow. If this was Manoa, I think a lot of people would be all right. Let's see what this is. This is almost high alert with Tiedemann. It feels like only good things can happen if a guy gets lit up in a pre or a spring training start. Who cares? Uh, what do you what do you make of what's kind of on the line for Tiedemann in terms of at this spring? Because again, I think it'd be pretty surprising if he ended up breaking camp with the team. But I I think that he obviously has a lot to show in terms of his you know short term future with this team and how quickly he could be a big leaguer. Yeah, I mean, there's not a much room for him. I mean, if if Tiedemann's on the team, then some sort of um, injury has happened. Um, I think that really this year is probably about Tiedemann getting up to the major leagues. Like, I think that's definitely um, what the team sees for him. I think he's right there. He made it to AAA last year. He looked really good. I mean, the thing that the downside of his last season was just the time missed, right? Dealing with some injuries, didn't get much innings in. And so that's going to factor into what he can do this season. You're not obviously going to see him go from like whatever 50 odd innings to 200 this year. So the booty is going to have to be cautious with that, but there's so many advancements with how they track guys. It's not just, um, you know, he threw this many innings, so he can throw this many innings this year. I mean, they have ways that they can, you know, track the amount of throws and the stress on the arm and all these different things. So um, they're probably thinking of that already. They probably have a number in mind or, you know, they're going to be communicating with him back and forth and figuring it out. But I think that, you know, this camp for him is just about showing that he's, you know, on the cusp of being ready to take the next step. I mean, I think somebody asked, Pete Walker, um, something along the lines of, you know, is he is he ready for the major leagues? And Pete's answer was actually a really good one, where it's just like, well, you never really know if someone's ready until they get to the major leagues. So I think um, they're going to get him as ready as possible, but really we're not going to know what he can do until he gets there. And obviously then it's, it's a process, right? Like mm. if he gets lit up in his first MLB start, it doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be a great pitcher for his career. So um, you know, this will be a next step for him, and I think him getting the start on Saturday is really exciting. It, it shows the Blue Jays do have that belief in him, giving him that opportunity, mm-hmm. um, and we'll just see what he can do with it. Yeah, I'm excited to see him tomorrow, 1 o'clock, on Sportsnet, and you can hear it on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
Caitlin, uh, great to hear from you again. Uh, have a great season. Thanks for this. Yeah, of course. Thank you. There's Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say on the Tiedemann thing, I feel like him and Manoa are almost like the only curiosities of, of camp. Mm-hmm. Again, like, you know, everyone has their favorite prospect that they're like, oh, I want to see what happens when he gets in a game. But it feels like Manoa for, I mean, it's like it's, you're you're looking wincing a little bit. At least that's my perspective of, okay, please, please be good. I don't want to do this all the time. And Tiedemann, it's just the biggest thing I'm curious about is the body transformation, like the pliability of adding all that weight. I'm not mm-hmm. poo-pooing it. It's just what does that do to a pitcher's mechanics? And obviously, you know, there's no shortage of people who care about mechanics and biochemistry and everything in all front offices, but Blue Jays specifically. So, yeah, I'm, I think those are the two kind of biggest curiosities of camp. I'm very curious to see what it looks like. Huge, apparently. Put on 35 pounds. Yoked. Um, back to the topic we were hitting on before we talked to Caitlin. Yeah. And the, this this person that tweeted me this did not include you in the the tweet. Mm. So, unfortunately, you had, I, I can send it to you. It's but, fine. I'm good. No, it's okay. I'm, okay. I'm gonna get there it. is a scientific dissertation. Great. That, or, sorry, a, a paper that has been written analyzing the win expectancy Mm -hmm. and what time you should pull the goalie in a hockey game. Good for them. And I obviously, one, don't have time to read the entirety of this paper. The methodology. And and to necessarily want to, but uh, Jeff, (laughs) shout out to you, Jeff, on Twitter, who tweeted me this, and I did, like, browse it ever so slightly to see if there was, like, a table that just gave me every answer I yeah. wanted. At you wanted my, to bam in my face it. I know. At, at my fingertips, and that didn't exist. But I'm going to just trust you when you succinctly tweeted this. When down two goals, it pays to pull the goalie with 13 minutes to go. Down two. Honestly, I, I changed my mind on everything. Whoever wrote that paper should be an NHL head coach, and he should walk into the room and tell those guys that. I agree. I would love to see it. Sure, personally. they should have an analytics department. Oh, you're saying it in earnest. I'm saying it in, I, I would like, no, no, I don't no, want no, I don't want him to, like, tell Sheldon Keefe that. Then Keefe has to go in there. No, no, no. Sure. I want that guy walking in there and pushing his glasses up going, it's actually better when it's 13 well, minutes. It, and, and certainly it's circumstance dependent, right? Like, the Leafs probably don't need to do it as early because mm-hmm. they just have more firepower. Yeah. The Islanders, they don't have that. So, like, yeah, the, them pulling the goalie with 11 minutes to go and down three. This is, this is... When you're down two, mm-hmm. pulling the goalie with 13 minutes to go makes sense. Um, if, I, you I score to... one, if you score to make it a one-goal down situation, yeah, yeah you, you, you're you still pulling your goalie, apparently mathematically, mm-hmm. at over six minutes to go in the hockey game. Apparently, hockey teams should be pulling their goalie with 6-10 to go in the third period if they're down a single goal. And the thing we've learned throughout the 2000s is obviously just trust the numbers blindly no, and have no gray no, area play into it. And uh, is this thing no, peer and reviewed? I'm not, yes. Okay, I'm not, like, I didn't get it said to me. I'm asking you. <laughs> no, you should see. It Some looks legit. Jeff no, it, it looks very legit. And maybe I'm just easily fooled, but well, this looks like. Well, you're fooled because it's the answer no, you gave. No, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't counter, don't throw that NHL part of head away. coaches should be even more aggressive than they have become with the pulling of the goalie. I believe that wholeheartedly. This article um, would lead credence to This that. whole conversation leads us back to something we did when we were early on in the show, and it was you asking me, like, what were the numbers you would like to know from the NHL? Mm-hmm. And it was me going, I wouldn't. I yeah, don't need right. more. I want. I Not wanna... less, but mm, the like amount we have is good. I like information. Yes. Anyways. Yeah, so do I. I also love an eye test. Okay. Boy, do I.
Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus, bet responsibly. It's the Leafs and Avalanche on a hockey night in Canada from Denver as the Leafs trying to run their winning streak to seven consecutive games. Maybe their best of the six games they've won consecutively against the defending champs in Vegas yesterday. Morgan Riley not ruining things for the Maple Leafs. You would imagine at some point his... A minute total is going to go up. He's not Mm going to have the fifth highest minutes among blue liners for this Leafs team. But, boy, Mm -hmm. how can you question the Leafs right now, the way they're playing hockey? That being said, though, are they going to sweep this road trip? It's so hard. Like, you you keep waiting for the letdown to happen, but I kind of think it's going to come when they play the Yotes next week, when it should happen. I think they're going to continue to rise to the occasion this is a this is another spot where the Leafs, if favored, will not be heavy, heavy favorites. I, I think there's a chance to get some value on them there. And also, just the way they're scoring right now. I know the Avalanche have been kind of buttoning things up, but if Matthews is good for one and a half a game, <laughs> it's kind of hard to look at an under involving this Leafs team right now as well. Uh, eight goals combined in the first meeting, uh, the first of mm-hmm. two, so this wraps the season series. Uh, Leafs had a lead in that game, and then Nathan McKinnon took over. They lost five to three, mm-hmm. perhaps an Austin Matthews revenge game as he tries to assert himself as the heart favorite over oh, Nathan McKinnon. Big I narrative love, game. Can't wait. I mean, every night I love Austin Matthews prop to score, mm-hmm. but yeah, certainly in this game where you got the narratives at stake. Love it. Uh, that was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly. When we come back. Our Leafs historian, Damian Cox, as the fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.